Hey, welcome to the very first episode of Back in the Day, <laughs> where we're going to dive into, well, personally mine, but hopefully we get an audience going and we can share share everybody's personal nostalgic favorite things from their past. And I figured in this day and age of the year and a half that we've had that's been pretty pretty rough, pretty tough, pretty fucked with the pandemic, we all turn to these nostalgic things from our past to recapture that high. So it's like comfort food, you know? And I figured, obviously, with what is going on, what better time to start sharing all our nostalgic favorites? I don't want to just talk about my shit either. I want the audience to get into it because... I've said it before, I am no film critic, I'm no journalist, anything like that. There would be a wealth, a treasure trove of stuff that I have no fucking idea about. And I would love us to build some sort of community where we swap all these awesome things. Check that out. Listen to this track. Oh, you should watch this film. That would be amazing. So that is basically what this podcast is going to be about in a nutshell. Uh, If you came over here from Ethereal Gaming, my other podcast, awesome. Glad to have you on board. Jump into it and let me know what you're thinking, what you want to talk about, what you want to discuss. And same as always, even if you didn't, give me some feedback. Let me know how I'm doing, what's good, what's bad, what's shit, all that stuff. Awesome. With that said, and that out of the way, we've got a (laughs) really good one set for episode number one. One of my favorite films of all time. And to, well, I should introduce it. John Carpenter's The Thing. Now, you would think, oh, maybe I watched this when I was 13, 14, growing up, and this is one of, you know, your first sort of entry into horror, thriller, psychological kind of films. It wasn't. I And I consider myself a bit of a film buff. Like I said, I'm not a critic or anything like that, but I, I love movies in general, and I want to experience movies from all different kinds of genres, from all different directors, from big ones, small ones, independent ones. And obviously, I knew who Carpenter was. I'd, I'd watched Halloween. That was probably really the only film of Carpenter that I'd seen up to this point, which was when I first watched The Thing, probably, I think, 2012, 2013. <laughs> so I would have been about 25, 26 at the time when I first saw it. And I couldn't believe... It blew my mind. The film really blew my mind. It's one of those films I've just... Every three, four, five months, I seem to put on and watch again always seem to pick up something else not that it's an overly complicated film or anything like that but I really love the themes in it so that really kicked off a bit of a Carpenter renaissance for me (laughs) that's when I sort of just went through his whole catalogue over a year or two and more often than not there's something really special about his films something that he just seems to capture that most directors can't now I know he hasn't really done much of note uh, lately but I don't think he really has to. I mean, how old's the guy? He's must, I think he's like 80 nearly, so he's probably winding down. But yeah, he had that period there, a good 20-odd years, where more often than not, his stuff was absolute magic. And it was really good. You know, you get to a stage sometimes when you've watched films, you've grown up watching films and movies, and you pick certain directors, and you watch all through their catalogue, and every now and again you get that... That feeling like, oh, nothing's going to match that, or no one can do it as good as this guy. And to be at 25, 26, and really go through Carpenter's catalogue was a, a fucking really good treat. Anyway, that's it. Enough ranting about the intro and Carpenter, and let's actually get into the movie. 
Okay, so before we jump fully into it, let's go through the cast a little bit. It's What is interesting here, and it does actually I highly, really recommend, if you're watching the thing on a second or third playthrough and you got it on Blu-ray or DVD, put on the director's commentary. It is so, it's so good. It's so insightful. I don't normally recommend commentaries, things like that. A lot of them are just little puff pieces and they're more often than not boring as, yeah, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. Normally they're not really worth it, but this one definitely is. It's got Carpenter and Russell and they go through the whole movie. There's so many interesting tidbits. So if you are going to watch it again, for you know whatever playthrough, not your first playthrough, highly recommend putting that on. But let's go through it. We got Kurt Russell. He's McCready. He is. I was going to say the the leader of the. He's not really a leader for part of the movie. Reluctantly, he becomes a leader, or they look to him for decisions. But that's not what he wanted to be. That's not what he set out to do. And for the most of the movie. He's just one of the guys. And I think that's really smart by Carpenter. Because Kurt Russell, even back then, he's still a big name. He's a leading man. And I like the fact that they put him in as basically just a dude. He's not here to come in, save the day. He's got his moments in the film. But so do others. And I think that's a really clever decision. So he is... He plays McCready, the helicopter pilot. We've got Keith David. He plays Childs. He's sort of like... A uh, short temper, quick to anger kind of guy. That's how he comes off around the start of the movie, but he ends up becoming more of a prominent figure as the movie kind of chugs along. We got Richard Mouser. He's Clark. He's the kind of guy. He takes care of the sled dogs. He's got a real affiliation, a real affection for all the sled dogs that the Americans keep. And we find out that, yes, the Norwegian sled dog that will come into the film in a minute. He also takes a bit of a, a liking to that one and wants to care for it as well. We got Wilford Brimley, who plays Dr. Blair, who starts kind of uh, losing his mind a little bit throughout the film because he's one of the first to really discover what the thing is, what it could do if it got to the mainland, if it got to civilization. Very interesting character as well. TK Nor- <laughs> TK Carter, who plays Knowles, he's like the cook. David Clennon, uh, Clennon, he's Palmer. He's like kind of a stoner. He's like a mechanic on the side. He's a bit blasé about everything until everything starts kicking off. He becomes very nervous, as they all do. Who else we got? Charles Hallahan. He plays Norris. He's like the station's geologist. Peter Maloney. He plays George Bennings. He's a meteorologist. Donald Moffat. He plays Gary, which is, is a very interesting character as well because most of these guys... They're mechanics, they're researchers, geologists, biologists, etc. But he's actually the head commander of the whole crew. He actually is the only one with some real military authority, if you will, I guess. Then we got um, Joel Polis, which was actually his first movie. I didn't realize that until I heard on the commentary again that they kind of just got this guy and gave gave him a shot, which you know was a real big deal for him. He plays Fuchs, the biologist. Tom Waits, he plays Windows, who's kind of the comms operator, if you will. So what's real interesting about this whole cast, before we really jump into it, is that it's all male. And it copped a lot of lot of shit for that back in the day. But if when I look at this film, I think it's actually a really interesting 
depiction of the male psyche when we're all or the the male persona when we're just in a group with a bunch of other guys you know <laughs> i thought it was really interesting i don't know why people cop shit like that i think it's okay if you want to have a all-male cast you want to have an all-female cast who cares it's it's your movie uh, yeah which was interesting to hear them talk about that on the commentary as well so look let's get into it let's have a little bit of a rundown of the movie i will do spoilers obviously the movie is 39 years old but if it isn't if you haven't seen it fuck turn this off go watch it the thing is an amazing movie and i highly highly recommend it so we got all these guys they're on the research station out in antarctica in the middle of bumfuck nowhere there's nothing there is a norwegian research station that's some distance away we know it takes an hour later on we learn it takes an hour to get there in a helicopter so it's not like anybody's close it starts off we get the helicopter coming in. There's these guys in the helicopter trying to shoot this sled dog. All the Americans see this. They're like, what the fuck? What's going on? One guy on the helicopter, he, he tries to throw a grenade. He drops it. He blows up the helicopter. One guy survives. He's charging at the Americans, like not the Americans themselves. He's charging it towards their station because the sled dog's going there. He's trying to kill this sled dog and he shoots one of the Americans. Then we got... Mr. Moffat, Gary, the uh, military guy who shoots this Norwegian, shoots him through the eye, bang, he's dead. And that sort of kicks off the movie. And I want to just talk about that for a minute. Like, what an interesting start. I remember the first time I watched it and you're like, what the, what the fuck is so special about this dog? You know, why are they, they're clearly not like just gone hunting. They've brought a chopper, grenades. They got rifles trying to kill this dog. And you're just as confused as the Americans standing around, wondering why, what, what's going on, who are they? You don't even discover, the Americans don't even know who they are at the start until the guy, when he's charging the station, starts speaking and they can tell that it's Norwegian, that it's the guy, he must have come from the other station. So that's when they all start, start kind of going, what happened? Did they go stir crazy? Have they lost their mind? They start wondering about the others at the research station. So we get through all that. And then McCready, the helicopter pilot, Kurt Russell, and one of the doctors says, let's go up. We want to go to the research station, the Norwegian research station, figure out what the hell's going on. So off they go. And while they're there, we've got a couple of shots of the guys all in the rec room. Bennings, he's the guy that got shot. He's kind of recovering. And there's some great, great shots because, uh, what's his name? Clark, sorry, Clark, who's the guy who's very you know very kind to the animals very caring has some sort of bond with these animals he takes in this norwegian sled dog that the norwegian pilots were trying to kill and we get some good shots of the dog walking around and he just i it's really clever the way they do it carpenter does it he shoots at this corridor scene where the dog walks down and fuck me whoever trained this dog whoa take a bow because you made this dog look perfect it looks creepy there's something suspicious about the dog but there is no visual trickery there's no effects there's no score or sound that's making you go oh yeah he must he must be dodgy he must be sus like there's none of that just the way the dog moves he stops in the middle of the corridor turns his head like he's looking towards all the guys in the rec room and slowly walks off what a <laughs> what a shot so, and that tells us, the audience, we know as well that something's not right with this dog. 
Anyway, we go back to McCready and the Doctor who arrive at this Norwegian outpost. They go through. The outpost is completely fucking destroyed. It's blown up. And here's a fun fact that I also learned, as you might have guessed, off the commentary, that for what happens at the end of the movie, right, spoilers, whatever, the American outpost gets blown up. But they actually use the blown up set to film this. This is what it is. They blew it up and then they filmed the Norwegian outpost from all the remnants of their set, which is, I think, pretty cool. So McCready and the Doctor, they're going through the Norwegian, and I love this outpost, this part in the Norwegian outpost. It's so cool. It's like a old-school 1950s horror movie haunted house kind of thing. They're going through. It's all burnt. It's claustrophobic. you got the guy in the chair. There's this Norwegian who slid himself like slit his wrist, sorry, and there's blood coming out and it's frozen because it's so cold there. I mean, it's just really, really cool. The Doctor gets a few uh, documents, videos, things like that, and McCready goes and finds this room and there's this huge chunk of ice, but it's been carved out in the middle. Like, you can tell something was in there and the Norwegians have carved it out and it's gone. So... Then we get the doc, a couple of the guys. Oh, no, no, we don't get there yet. <laughs> hey, slow down, Turbo. So McCready and this doctor, they go out the front and they find this horrible-looking, burnt-up, melted, disgusting figure, creature almost, of like two humans. And you can tell their faces were kind of merging together as one. And it's really grotesque. And this is where you've got to give a shout-out to Rob Botton, who was the special effects creator and the designer, because he was only 22 when he worked on this movie. And we're talking about 1982 this movie came out. So there is no CGI or any of that shit. These effects, these practical effects, fuck, they look amazing. And I can tell you now, they inspired lots of filmmakers from then on when they're going on with their horror movies, how to do their visual effects, their practical effects. So kudos to him. So they get this creature thing that they think is dead, this corpse-looking thing, and they take it back. Once they get back, the doctor there, Dr. Blair, they do like an autopsy on it, and he says it's definitely alien in nature, like looking, but it has human internal organs, which, you know, would be pretty disconcerting if you if you were one of the crew there. So anyway, we get another, we cut to the rec room. The guys are in there, they're fooling around and the dog brushes past Bennings, who was the guy who got shot. And he's like, what the fuck? You know, he freaks out. He tells Clark, he goes, go put this mutt, go get rid of him, put him in the pen with our dogs. Because that Norwegian sled dog was just freely walking around the camp. And we know something is up with this guy. And here's another really good shot. So Clark goes down to put this dog, put him away, put him in the pen. And you got all the American sled dogs to the sides of the pen. And they're clearly spooked by this dog that's coming in. And Clark, you know, he shoes the Norwegian sled dog. He's like, get in, come on, come on, get in. And off he goes. And the and the Norwegian sled dog, which by now we can kind of tell is going to be the thing. He goes and sits just right in the middle of the pen. And it's very eerie. And then we get the shot at just... <laughs> the dog's skin just rips off. Tentacles come flying out, grabbing the other dogs. There's goo and shit shooting everywhere. <laughs> and it's great. It, 
the thing is screaming and it's crazy. And I remember in their commentary, another interesting fact, like this is where Carpenter, he said, look, at this part of the movie, when we were doing previews, like we had people just walk out. He said, this is this is the time we could tell you're either in for the ride or you're not. So what happens is all the crew and that, they hear all the all the commotion going on with all the dogs, all that crazy stuff, and they run down and they see the thing and it's grabbing all the dogs. And one of them tells, it says, get Childs, tell him to get the fucking, get the flamethrower, bring the flamethrower. So they're trying to shoot this thing. He lights up the flamethrower. They're burning it, but it grabs on the, onto the rafters of the roof and gets out of there. So obviously now they're all aware that, yeah, okay, I'm sure they were pretty spooked when they had the corpse of this mutilated thing that the guys brought back from the other outpost. But now they know something is really 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 wrong so they get the guy uh dr blair sorry he gets one of the dog's corpses and does another autopsy on this one and this is when they kind of discover that it wasn't trying to kill the other dogs it was trying to assimilate to them it was trying to morph them and copy them become them and we get this cool thing in in a little bit that shows which is also really cool dr blair tries to do predictions on the computer and remember we're talking 1982 so they've got this really cool graphic of like this is the things cell and this is one of the dogs cell a normal dog cell and it shows the things cell coming over take the dog cell and then turn back into it into a, a thing cell and then they're assimilated and you couldn't tell the difference now they're both two perfect dog cells i, I look i explained it a bit fucked up but the the graphic really conveys the point of what the thing can do. It, it can make copies of everything. It can overtake you. It's a perfect imitation is what I'm trying to say. So then we get to, where am I? Let me just see. Well, we just did the dogs. He's done the test. And that's right. When he does the test as well, so he sees, Dr. Blair sees how it overtakes. And the reality becomes real. He understands that, look, one or more of the crew could already be a thing. So he puts into the his supercomputer in 1982 and he asks it to come up with a prediction of if this thing gets to the mainland, if it gets to civilization, how long until everything is assimilated? And it says 27,000 hours. 27, 37 hours. I think it was, it's going to be like three years or something. Obviously... Not great. That means the end of humanity. <laughs> so this is where Blair starts to go a little crazy. He knows what's at stake here, you know. And then we cut to Windows, who's like the com guy, and there's Bennings, and they've got that corpse of the mutilated, more fucked up face thing, and they're putting a blanket over it. They're going to get rid of it. Oh, they're going to keep it, because, you know, like, this is the find of a century. Like, he says, this could win someone the Nobel Prize, you know. Because all these guys, they don't understand yet, but they're going to very shortly, is that that corpse thing isn't actually dead. They figure out in a minute, I'll, I mean, I'll tell you what happens, obviously, but they figure out you have to burn, to burn these things, to actually destroy, kill the cells. Otherwise, they will find something. They will inti intimidate it, imitate it. <laughs> and, and yeah, you can't have that happening. But these two guys, while they're looking over this corpse, they don't know that. So he puts the blanket over it. He thinks, they think it's dead. It's nothing. It's, And they walk out. 
well, Windows walks out and you see this tentacle thing fall out from under the blanket. Cool shot. Cool if you like. So we know, the audience know, this this motherfucker, this thing ain't dead. <laughs> so then we get Fuchs. He's like, I've got to speak to you, Mac. He goes to McCready. He goes, I've got to speak to you. Come outside. He's like, I'm going through Blair's notes. He's starting to fucking, he's starting to lose it, man. We've got to keep an eye on him. Those two guys are talking and then they hear Windows and he's yelling. He's like, the thing, the thing, it got fucking Bennings. <laughs> it's awesome. So they all start running back to check on Bennings and there's nothing. But they look around in the room, that co- the um, the corpse thing's gone and the window's smashed. So they're like, what the fuck? He must be outside. Come on, let's go. And they hear it screaming. Once again, I've got to give props to the sound effects department. Throughout the whole movie, when they do the thing's screams and it's sound effects and it's grunts, all of it is just so good and otherworldly and not in a good sense. Like, just not of this world <laughs> is what I, is more what I mean to say. And they actually send a bit of a shiver up your spine. I don't know how they did it, but the sound effects are great. So they run out and they, they kind of corner Bennings. By now, all the other crew, the alarms go and they figure something's on. So they all come out and they see Bennings in the snow. And he's just got these like black eyes, but he looks the same, except he's got like a massive claw for a hand. And it's such a cool shot. It tells us that like, the thing was nearly done with Bennings. It nearly took over him. So another minute, couple of minutes, it doesn't actually state exactly how long it takes for the thing to take over someone. But I'm assuming another minute or two, Bennings would have been just, to, to all the other crew, would have appeared to be just normal Bennings. And this is what really starts setting off the movie. Because now the guys know, the rest of the crew know, that anyone could be a thing. So McCready deals with Bennings. They have to tip gas over him. They tip a barrel of gas over him while McCready does, and they light his ass up with the with the flamethrower. And that's when they start realizing you need fire. We need to kill him. Because McCready must have pieced it together that from that corpse thing, the cells have got into him, they've got him. That's how it's taking over people. McCready, he also like deducts that we can't all be things. He knows he's not a thing. And he says, all the other guys, all you other guys can't all be things. Otherwise, you'd all just fucking pounce me now and take me over. And this really kicks off this cat and mouse game of the main theme of the movie, which is just the paranoia. And it's such a good movie. I remember when, like, watching it the first time myself and you start playing that cat and mouse game in your own mind. I remember at the start, like, Clark seemed a bit weird putting that dog in. Maybe he's a fucking thing. Or you go, oh, nah, maybe, oh, it could be McCready. And he's just putting all this. And it's really good in that that sense where they set it up perfect with that, just that right amount of guesstimation and tension just to string you along through the whole thing and keep the tension up. Keep the, you don't get bored. You want to know. You want to figure out the mystery of who is and who isn't. So props to that. So then we get the, uh, we start getting to the guys have a great idea to, well, you know, how the fuck are we going to tell? How can I tell if you're a thing or I'm a thing? We Do you even know? So they come up with this idea to do this blood test, which is starts leading to one of the best scenes in the whole whole movie. But they these all of them get to the blood and it's been sabotaged. The cupboard's been opened. The blood's all over the floor. It's just, it's useless. So they can't do anything with it. 
But I, oops, I actually did miss two right after they kill Bennings because they got to they remember that Blair is starting to lose his mind, so they got to get on to him. They get they go to get Blair. He's fucking got the axe because all the other guys were out when they were burning Bennings. They come back. All the other dogs that did survive are dead. They've been chopped up with the axe, and they find Blair in the the communication room, smashing everything up. Now I should say as well. The reason they can't, I think I, I'm not sure if I did say it at the start, but when the guy got shot by the by the crazy Norwegians chasing the dog, they did try to radio for help, except because there was a storm coming in, the comms couldn't get out. But now Blair's in there, he smashed all of it up, forget it, they are cut off. They cannot send comms to anybody. Because now Blair knows he's got to keep this thing here. <laughs> he can't let it get out under any circumstance. They all start thinking he's lost his mind and they go to put him in a cabin outside. And McCready's in there, putting him in the cabin. They leave him a little Jim Bean. Here you go, old mate, have a sip of that. And he says, he says to McCready, don't trust Clark. And it just, oh, it's perfect the way they start setting up this, all the ties between all the guys, who trusts who, who doesn't. Who's had it in for one another? You can tell maybe maybe grudges from all the time they've been there. So that's why they think... It's just really, really well set up, the paranoia aspect of it. So now, after the guys have realized that, yes, the blood is fucked. They can't use it. It's, it's a no-go. And so they start... Obviously, the tension between them is high. Nobody trusts anybody. And Gary, who's the military captain kind of guy, he had a key... But the doctor also, Dr. Cooper had a key, and both of them deny it. So it keeps ramping up that tension, the paranoia, and you go, well, one of them's got to be a fucking thing. One of them had to do it. Really, really good setting that up. We get kind of a little break where they're talking about what they should do, and McCready goes off, he has a tape recording, he makes a bit of a message. Because Knowles, who's the kitchen guy, came in when they were talking before about how the blood got fucked up and everything, and he just kind of drops this line about which one of you dirty ass motherfuckers keeps leaving their ripped up drawers in my my bin in the kitchen. You know, he's the chef. And you don't realize, but McCready kind of pieces it together and thinks, well, that must be from the thing. It can't assi- like assimilate, inti- intimidate. I did it again. Imitate, imitate um, clothes. It can only Im- imitate the organic manner of people or things, or animals, or creatures, the living organisms. So the clothes get ripped up and get disposed of, which is integral to the next part, because Fuchs is the guy, he's the biologist guy, and he's going over all Blair's stuff to see what, you know, see if he can find anything. And while he's outside, he finds McCready's shirt just ripped to shreds. So he starts thinking, fuck, McCready, he's, he's got to be a thing. And he goes up to McCready's cabin, and that's it. We don't see him. The other guys, McCready, Knowles, and Windows, they go to look for him. They go, oh, shit, Fuchs has gone missing. But what they find is his charred body. And and I like this because it, the whole thing with Fuchs, they kind of leave this as some open mystery. Because what actually made him go outside? He was going over Blair's stuff, doing a bit of research in the lab, and the lights go out. But then he kind of sees this... This shadow go past the door, and, and which which actually works. It is a bit of a jump scare, but it's basically the only one in the whole movie. So it is a it's a good one for me. Yes, we all know jump scares. Oh fuck, they're so overused, but this one works. 
And that's what sent him out there. And because the lights are out, he goes out with this flare. And then you see him walking up. He finds McCready's shirt. And then you see him walking up to the cabin and that's it. See you later, Fuchs. Until they find his body. Knowles, McCready, and windows. And it's burnt. So it's interesting to just like think about what, why, what happened? Did he kill himself because the thing was getting him and he just burned himself to save himself from becoming, you know, assimilated? Or did somebody burn him thinking he was the thing? Was he murdered? Or did the thing get him and try to set it up and pin it on something? I don't know. It's pretty... um pretty interesting to think about i like when there's little open-ended things like that so that that's that's pretty pretty cool uh what do we what do we get up to after that with mr senor fuchs oh yes oh i think it's time for the very very famous <laughs> scene so mccready and Knowles, they've been gone for too long so everybody starts locking up and boarding boarding up the the facility they're like fuck the thing might have got them. Yeah, they went out to look for Fuchs. That's it. We can't risk it anymore. We've got to secure this place. So they bought up all the entrances, all the exits, all the windows, all that kind of shit. And Norris comes back alone and he's he's banging on the door. He's like, let me in. Let me in. He's like, McCready, McCready, McCready. And they let him in. And he's got a part of McCready's ripped shirt. And so they're all saying, shit, shit, McCready, he's a thing. He's a thing. And he's banging on the door. McCready comes a minute later. He's like, let me in, guys. Let me in. Come on. I'm going to die out here. <laughs> and they won't let him in. But McCready, he breaks in through a window that's near their storage room. He breaks in there and they're like, shit, he's breaking in. And they go in and he's got this dynamite. He gets the dynamite out of the storage and he lights up a flare and he holds it near the dynamite. And he's like, oh, fucking listen to me. He's like, you come any closer, I'm going to blow this whole fucking thing up. So, as as that's kind of all all happening, he says, you know, put your guns away or I'm blowing, I don't care. I'm blowing the thing up. So no one clearly trusts McCready or anyone at the moment. But then Norris, who's kind of been gripping his heart a bit every now and again, he, like something is clearly up with Norris. And he starts having what you think might be like a heart attack. So... Cooper, Dr. Cooper, they all kind of just relax a little bit. McCready's still got the stuff. He's just being cool. He gets the gun, you know, and he's like, just fucking relax, but we've got to take care of Norris, who's freaking out. So Cooper and that, they get him on a gurney. They put him up on a on a thing, and they start, you know, like, fuck, we got to pump his, pump his, give him the defibrillator, save his life. He's dying. He's dying. And this is one of the best fucking scenes ever out of any horror horror film. So he's doing it like one, two, three, bang, got it with the defibrillator. He goes one more, he lifts the defibrillator up and he goes to go down and Norris's chest just fucking rips open side to side. The whole chest is just gorging open and it's got these massive teeth and it just starts going absolutely crazy uh, from here. So they, it's biting Norris, Norris dies and he's, well, sorry, Norris, his chest is biting Cooper, so Cooper's done for. Norris's head comes off, and these spider legs come out of his head, and the thing is screaming and screeching, and the little spider Norris head is walking around the kitchen. It's fucking great. It's so good. 
Once again, got a shout out to Rob Botton. This this is amazing. So they go, fuck this. McCready and that and everyone, they're like, that kind of worried about McCready things kind of put on hold. This is the problem at hand. They get the flamethrowers and they start burning the whole fucking thing up. Now starts to come one of the best scenes as well. McCready gets everyone to say, listen, we'll do the fucking blood test. We're going to draw blood from everyone and we're going to do the test and we are going to find out who is a thing, who isn't a thing. So as McCready is telling everyone, we're going to do the test. That's what's going to happen. He's got the gun. He's saying, tell them windows and that. Tie everybody up. That's it. Tie them on the chair. We're doing the test. You're not getting out unless you fucking pass the test. So, and Clark, who's, you know, He's always seemed a little bit sus. And he's like, yeah, yeah, we'll do the test. And he charges McCready. He's going to try to take the gun. McCready turns around, bang, pops Clark right in the head. Which is, it's interesting that it turns out that Clark is not a thing. So Childs tells him, you know, it's like, well, you're you're a murderer. But it's like, it doesn't matter, you know. So but McCready's like, we've got to... McCready's kind of a get the job done. He doesn't really think about that shit for the time being. And so at this at this stage, who we got left? We've got Childs, McCready, obviously. We got Knowles, who's the uh, kitchen hand. We got Palmer, who's that stoner mechanic guy. And we have who else? We got Blair, who's still locked up outside in the cabin. And we got I think that is. It, and windows. We got windows. So it's only those guys left, and they're all tied up except for uh, McCready, who wants to do this blood test. So he takes, you don't get to see, but they all take their blood. They put them in little plastic containers, and McCready heats up this fucking wire, boil, like with the flamethrower, so it would just be absolutely boiling. And he gives this really cool speech about how it doesn't matter. The, the the thing is all part of the same kind of system. So if it hurts here, when I burn it, it's going to hurt you. And we're going to know who the fuck is a thing and who isn't. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Actually, yeah, we do get to see it because we get to see him get the blood because McCready, lets, he kind of trusts Windows. So Windows goes with this knife. He kind of ta- gives a little nip on their finger, draws a bit of blood and takes it up to McCready. And he starts going through them all. Right, and he gets, <laughs> and this is another amazing scene, and the tension, the tension is so high because we don't know either. That's a really smart decision, is that the director Carpenter he didn't want to clue us in the who was a thing, so then we can kind of go, oh, they're going to get a surprise when they test his. The idea was he wanted us to feel that paranoia, be a part of it, wants us to be questioning who is a thing, who we trust, who we don't trust to see whether we're right or wrong and what you would do in that situation. So yeah, Windows is all good. They do Childs, he's all good. They check Clark because they check his blood, even though McCready just shot him in the head. Got to make sure he's not a thing. They also check Cooper, so they haven't burnt them yet. They check Cooper, but they do decide they've got to burn them all later. So they're all good. Then we get up to Palmer, right? The stoner, the stoner mechanic guy, and this is so good. He tests the blood and it's like, he goes, he heats up the wire and he goes to put it on and it's like this screeching like hand comes out of the blood. He drops it. McCready shits himself and drops it. And Palmer just starts shaking on the chair. Like, (laughs) and all the other guys are still tied up right next to him. They're like, let us out. Let us the fuck out. Let us out. 
And then it's like, it's like Palmer's face is melting. His eyes are like popping out of his head. And because McCready, uh, yeah, he dropped the flamethrower when the thing, when the blood jumped up with his hand thing and surprised the fuck out of him. And he's like telling Windows, get the flamethrower, turn on the flamethrower, like blast him, blast him. And he can't, the thing won't turn on. And Palmer breaks out of his restraints because now he's, you know, like the thing. And he jumps up on the roof and he's like kind of upside down, twisted on the roof. And Windows is shitting himself trying to get the thing working. And then Palmer just drops off the roof and Windows is like, oh shit. And Palmer's face is just so melted and drawn and disgusting blood eyes popping everywhere, veins. And his head just splits open, turns into like a giant mouth. And just fucking grabs Windows and picks him up and it's flinging him around. Oh, it's just some of the craziest shit you've ever seen, it's so, (laughs) it's so good, and I can't imagine, uh, now we see all this stuff all the time, but I I cannot imagine, well, I can actually, how in 1982, this would go down with people, well, the result was actually pretty evident, because the movie got pretty negative reviews, and wasn't by no means a box office success or anything like that, which is a very big trend with all the Carpenter films, you'll find most of them garner this kind of cult following a devotion who's many years after they release so that that's an interesting side note but yep so that's what that's what we get and McCready ends up coming in he does get the flamethrower going and he burns it he kills Palmer and that's I think that's when they decide they've got to go kill uh, burn all the bodies all the corpses but they've still got Gary they've got to do Gary so, they finish Gary, and he's all good, and he's like, will you get me the fuck out of this chair? <laughs> which is the only time I think you actually hear the F word in the whole movie, which is nothing, just an interesting fact, I suppose. Now we start getting into the the final the final kind of act. So we've got Mac, Childs, Gary, and Nors, and we've got Blair, who's still out there in the cabin. And this is kind of when... McCready and the the rest of the gang, who but we're talking Knowles and Gary, go to check out on Blair. But Childs isn't with them. And this is an interesting fact to keep in mind because this is where a lot of the theories start coming in about towards the end of the movie. Was Childs a thing? Was McCready a thing? Were they both things? None of them things. They just realised that they got to... We'll get there. We'll get there. So they go back to the shack where Blair is because they want to do the blood test to him, you know, to make sure he's not a thing. And when they get to the shack, they go in and Blair is just gone. But they realize there's this hidden tunnel under the floorboards and they go down. So obviously, this is very suspect. (laughs) There was not a secret tunnel there before. They go down and they find this alien ship, a little alien ship that's pretty similar to the one they went to Oh, did Jesus Christ, did I even do that? <laughs> I don't know. Earlier in the movie, I got too excited. A bit a bit before all the shit really kicks off, they go out and they, well, they get those Norwegian documents and the videos they took from the Norwegian outpost, and they go and visit the ship. Because it was on the Norwegian's map, that's how they figure out that, yes, the Norwegians brought the thing up out of the ice, cut it open because they stumbled across its ship. And that's when they realized when they were at the UFO ship, once they followed the directions out there, that 
it was in fact a hundred thousand years old. Jeez, I can't believe I I missed that. I got I got super excited. Okay, back to the finale. So now they kind of discovered this this ship that Blair's been building, and they all come to the conclusion that the thing wants to freeze again. So like a future a future rescue team or search and rescue team will come and dig it up and bring it to the mainland. So they decide what they've got to do. Or actually, they come to the conclusion as well that they're not going to live. They're not going to survive through this. And the main thing that they have to do is go about blowing up the facility to make sure, or to try to do everything they can to kill the thing and assure that it doesn't get off this fucking facility and get to a mainland. So they they go about setting up the explosives in the generator room so, you know, they can cause a big explosion to blow the whole thing up. And Gary's walking around. He's got his torch. And I remember it starts, like, flickering and that. And he walks around the corner and he's banging it, you know, that, that kind of thing. And it comes on and Blair's there and he comes out and he does this really creepy thing where he grabs Gary's face with his hand and he pushes it back and his fingers start going into the skin of Gary's face and it's, oh, it's pretty, yeah, pretty discomforting to watch. And then we cut away. So obviously confirming what we know, that Blair is a thing. Well, and so also, while Gary gets killed... Knowles is following the sounds of like the creature. They can hear the creature. And then that's it for Knowles. We don't know what happens to him. We hear a noise when it cuts to McCready. So we can assume maybe that's the thing killing Knowles and that's it for him. But that's it. We don't get to see Knowles actually die. So now McCready's alone. He's running the fuse to get the to get ready to detonate this dynamite. He knows it's it's coming, you know, he can't find Gary, he can't find Knowles, and it's kind of up to him. This is when a huge version of the creature breaks through the floorboards and is ready to kind of, you know, get McCready, <laughs> finish him off. And I did actually say earlier that Gary was the only one that said the F word in the thing. No, it isn't, because I remember this part too, and the, the thing's going off. It grabs McCready's leg and tries to drag him. McCready gets the dynamite. And so he he lights the dynamite and he goes, yeah, fuck you too. <laughs> and throws it. And the whole, we, we cut outside and we see all the outposts blow up. And then we get to the really cool scene, which is the ending. So McCready, he's got his bottle of scotch. And he's kind of, they're all, he's he's stuffed, you know, he's spent the the outpost is blown up the fire will keep him warm for a little bit but uh, the temperature will drop and he knows that that's going to be it and then he sees child sort of like wandering through all the debris all the wreckage of the outpost and he's like what the he's like where were you child like what happened to you and child is like oh i thought i saw blair so i went chasing him and then he sits down next to next to mccready and they're still both very suspicious of each other. And McCready's like, doesn't matter if we got any surprises for each other, then, you know, we'll, we'll come into that. And then Child's is like, well, what should we do? And McCready just goes, I think we should just wait here for a while and just see what happens. 
and then you see Childs having a sip of the whiskey as well. And that's it. And it le- it's so good. Like, it leaves it so open. Like, was did Childs really see Blair? Is Childs a thing? You, you know what I mean? We, we're sure now, McCready. We know McCready isn't. So it's up to Childs. Did they actually get it and they're going to die, but it's okay because they've saved humanity from the terrible fucking future of the thing? Or is Childs a thing? Now, there was theories as well. I think when you see Childs a little bit earlier, because he, he was actually meant to stand guard. That's why he didn't go down to the UFO ship. There's a... I think there's a shot of him, but then there's another shot of him and his clothes seem different, which might indicate that the thing has gotten a hold of him and his original clothes are fucked somewhere and that's why he's changed. I mean, I, I don't know, but there's these little tidbits here and you've got to assume with directors, like they don't do these things by mistake. I don't think there was a mess up with the clothes, anything like that. So there's a lot of theories out there. But that, yeah, so we've gone through the movie, but I just wanted to share it with you. And look, I'm a bit scattered over. I did try to watch it the other night, but I wanted to just try and get this first episode out. Next uh, movies or whatever we pick will be a little more thought out, a little more detailed, a little more analysis. But I just love this movie. It's such a good movie. And I did want to get the first episode out. And I really, really recommend If you've got a spare two hours and you're looking for something to watch, and you haven't seen the thing before, chuck it on. It's got to be on a Netflix or Stan, whatever. You'll be able to find it somewhere. And if not, just go spend the five bucks. Just go and buy it. It's worth it. But um, yeah, what can I say? It is one of my favorite movies of all time. (laughs) Every time I watch I never get bored when I watch it. I, I don't know why that is. And it's so perfectly acted by the cast and the crew. By relatively unknowns, for me, anyway. Kurt Russell, Keith David, sure. But they just work so good. It isn't overacted. It's very subtle. It isn't when something jumps out like, Oh, no, my lord! It's you. It's really what you would expect from a bunch of guys that are stuck out on the Antarctic and put in this really terrible, horrible situation that they're forced to deal with. And they're forced to really confront all of their colleagues, all of their friends, affiliations that have worked on this research station for, I think I think it does actually say, I think they've been there like nine months, something like that. Really great film about paranoia, a psychological thriller, horror, horror movie, great all around. Re- still even now, the practical effects and that, they still really hold up. They really feel creepy. They really feel grotesque. And they may still make you cringe, that good cringe, you know, like, oh, God, that's fucked. Like, you know, when you're watching something and you're like, oh, it really gives you that feeling. So what can I say? If you haven't seen it, go out and see it. I should also let you know right before you go as well where to actually get into contact with me. So if you want to drop me a line about what you want to hear about on the Nostalgic Podcast, what's your guys' favorite things, what's your comfort food, you can email me at etherealgamingmedia at outlook.com. You can jump over on the Facebook page, just look up Ethereal Gaming Media and it should pop up. And also, if you get a chance, why not go over to YouTube and check out the YouTube channel that I'm starting there, Ethereal Gaming Media. Once again, it should pop up. I haven't got any videos on yet, so maybe check in later on the week. That's when I'm starting... Scarting. <laughs> oh my god. When I'm starting 
to post my YouTube videos. So if you want to jump over there, leave a comment, whatever, all good. So get into contact with me one of those ways and let me know what you like about the show, what you don't like, what's working, what you want to see change. And that way we can grow the channel, the podcast into something more palatable for everyone. Anyway, guys, I'll leave it there. Thanks for joining me and I hope to see you back here on the next episode. Have a good one.